Our second reading for this morning, which again you can turn to if you would like to follow along, comes to us from the New Testament. It comes to us from Mark's Gospel, chapter 9, verses 2 through 9. So once again, if you'd like to follow along, you could turn to the New Testament and follow from Mark 9, uh, 2 to 9, verses 2 to 9, or you can follow along with us on the screen. Let us listen now to God's holy word. Six days later, Jesus took him with Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain, apart by themselves. And he, Jesus, was transfigured before him, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwelling places, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. The transfiguration of Jesus. That must have been a marvelous sight to behold. It must have been marvelous, but it was also a special event. It was an event that was dangerous, something that was radical, something that was eye-opening, something that drew the disciples and our attention to the divine. The transfiguration is also a reminder to the disciples and to us reading this passage today that our identity is found not in things where we place our identity or where we think our identity is, but that our identity is found in God, the life-giving breath of God. I think this notion is especially appropriate, that this question of identity is appropriate, especially with the upcoming season of Lent and Ash Wednesday. But before we tackle this issue of identity, before we ask these questions about who we are, who God is in this event, 
in this transfiguration. We should be a little clear first. We should be clear about the words we're using. Because as you've heard me say before, words mean things, and I think it's important that before we go on, we have a clear understanding of what it is we are actually talking about. Because I think that making these distinctions will help us tear away the veil, or at least peel back some of the layers of the mystery that is unfolding this morning in this passage. So let's be clear about two words. Transfiguration and transformation. Because many people, including myself, we have used these two words interchangeably when we talk about the text. You'll often hear about transformation, transfiguration, and sort of this free-flowing exchange, but there is a distinction between the two. So I'd be curious what you think transform or transformation means. You could share some ideas. Perhaps you would want to share some examples. I'll take a, a little moment for you to think about some examples of transformation or a definition of transform, and you can share those if you would like to in the chat. When I think about transformation, I'm going to be a little clinical and stick to a dictionary definition, which says that to transform means to make a thorough or dramatic change in the form, appearance, or character of. If we were going to apply this to real-world events or real-world examples, what would some examples be? I think wood breaking down into wood ash after a campfire would be an example. A caterpillar turning into a butterfly would be another one. Sunlight converted into plant food or the energy plants need. These are all examples of transformation. In all these cases, things are undergoing a dramatic change, whether it be in their form or appearance or character. So now, what about the act of transfiguration or to transfigure? What do you think that means? Or what are some examples of that? Again, a, a dictionary definition would tell us that to transfigure is to change the outward form or appearance of. And again, some examples of transfer, transfiguration might be something like someone who exercises to get in shape, someone who maybe puts on makeup or dresses up or gets fancy. Another example might be something that's been restored using authentic uh, methods. I think in all these instances, the appearance of what's ever been transfigured is, is different. That's changed. The appearance has changed, but not the core essence of what that thing was. 
Jesus undergoes a transfiguration, not a transformation. Jesus has always been divine, and in this reading from the Gospel of Mark, we find that Jesus' form of divine divinity is revealed to the disciples. The divinity of Christ is put on full display for those who are with him on the mountaintop. Nothing's changed, as I said, in regards to the nature or character of Christ. Simply put, the disciples who traveled with him were seeing Jesus for who he really was. What must it have been like to stand in front of Jesus at that moment? To be on the mountaintop with Jesus? To see Moses and Elijah, these prophets of old, come to speak with him? It must have been a wonderful yet terrifying sight. Wonderful because they were one of the few who experienced this miraculous occurrence. Terrifying because the dazzling blaze of Jesus' appearance carried with it a hint of danger and risk. Awe-inspiring, awe-inspiring, because they were in the presence of God. We are in the presence of God. When we think about what it means to be with God, I think we are all looking for moments where the mundane and the sacred intersect to reveal a glimpse of what is really happening, where we can catch a peak, even the smallest peak, of something that gives us hope. We're looking for hints of God in the world around us. We're looking for the extraordinary in a sea of ordinary things. But moments like the one described in Mark's Gospel are not that common. But perhaps even if we don't travel to a mountaintop, perhaps we have an opportunity to witness witness occurrences of these divine revelations in the ordinary world around us. If we but prepare our hearts and minds to see and embrace such moments. To see that moments we thought were perhaps mundane or ordinary are in fact extraordinary when they've been touched and transformed by God. How do you see moments of holiness or that intersection of the mundane and extraordinary intersecting in your life? What is it that provides you with inspiration and hope? But as we also mentioned, this experience with Jesus is also terrifying. Now, why do you think it would be terrifying? It even 
goes out of the way to point that out in Mark's gospel. And it's even a big enough event in the first reading from 2 Kings that Elisha tears his clothes. Why is it terrifying, this moment of transfiguration with Jesus? Perhaps it's because it's also a reminder of our own mortality, our frailty. It's a reminder that from the dust of the earth we came, and to dust we one day shall return. And that is an unsettling thought, for sure. Yet regardless of how terrifying it was, or how frightful it was, the disciples were inspired to try and preserve this moment in perpetuity. This awe-inspiring experience is not something, though, that can be the end-all, the be-all and end-all of our faith or our walk with God. It can never serve as a final stop, but instead is a reaffirmation or a station where we take a break or a place where we are spurred on to keep on going. Not in a way that we push ourselves to the limit, but in a way that inspires us in our work as disciples of Christ. Jesus, who would take up the cross, died, became last in order to be first, and turned away from the ways of sin and death, showed us this. And in this, we find our own identity and call to accompany Jesus in his ongoing service to all creation. The key lies for us this morning in the very last word of this passage, which perhaps is fitting, where it talks about death. Jesus came as God incarnate to conquer death. Death which lays claim on our lives. Death which is hard for us to wrestle with. But something that does not have the same power on us since God incarnate came to conquer it. And in which from that dust of the earth we came, God breathed into it every fiber of our being. This passage reminds us that we cannot spend our moments here on earth in a static state, that we cannot be on the mountaintop forever. But in fact, there is more work to be done in an ongoing formation and reformation. The transfiguration of Jesus prepared the disciples and prepares us as the church to better grasp our humility our dusty origins, and to help us remember our complete dependence on God. And as we are about to embark on another Lenten journey, we should set out with hope for what is to come. Hope that God is making all things new in our work as well, 
and hope that even in the dark corner of our lives, God brings us light that shines forth warmth and love. In his book on church dogmatics, the theologian Karl Barth writes this, that this, the transfiguration, was an anticipation of the resurrection that would not be understood until the resurrection had taken place. Its purpose is to show that even before his resurrection, Jesus, who had revealed himself, that Jesus was who he revealed himself to be by his resurrection. Certainly this year, as we head into another season of Lent, still distant in some ways. Perhaps this year we might listen on our Lenten journey with ears that, well, with ears or hearts and minds that help us to remember who we are, who Jesus was, and how we, as we have also remembered, are people who have been claimed and sealed in the love of God. As a church, as people of faith, we need to listen. Listen to the voice of God that is always calling us. And in our hearing, then we may follow. Follow Christ, who we know to be God. Christ, who freed the oppressed, who calls us to free the oppressed, to sit with those who are outcasts, to welcome in the stranger. Christ, who calls us to be different. Christ, who calls us to make the ordinary extraordinary. By turning the common conventions of this world on their head. By showing grace and love to those who have been long forgotten or ignored. To those who are in need of healing we find that we are then participating in the mission of Christ and that we are being faithful as people who have had the breath of God breathed into us, that we may do so for others. In this season of Lent, may we hear, may we work towards the loosening the chains of oppression we have wrapped around others and those we have neglected. May we live as a people who have been transfigured, as ones who have been claimed and sealed in the love of God that is life-altering and life-changing.